If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome to Season 2 of the Audiobook Club with John York. The Audiobook Club, partnered with Pro Audio Voices, celebrates audiobooks, the amazing people and teams who make them happen, as well as the various talents behind storytelling. To learn more about Amplify and other opportunities to grow your sales, platform and audience, head over to ProAudioVoices.com and listen out for a short but informational advertisement within this episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by audiobook narrator and educator Joel Frumpkin. Joel, it's so lovely to have you join us on the show. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. So as is tradition on the show, I'd love to start by asking how you first began your journey in this crazy world of audiobooks. Um, it was a little bit circuitous and and it fell into my lap at exactly the right time. My background, my training was in performance. Um, that was what I studied in college and all that stuff. And then for many years, I was working as a director. I had sort of decided acting wasn't really for me. I had stage fright issues and things like that. Um, and I was really focused on being a director for a big chunk of my career. And my partner and I decided eventually um, to start a theater company, which we did sort of in the middle of nowhere in Indiana, just because we fell in love with a building there. And it was like he it was a hundred year old vaudeville house and he renovated it from top to bottom. And for 10 years, we gave it our all and did really amazing work, but it just wasn't working out in it was very difficult socially for us sort of being gay in indiana and trying to do musical theater in the middle of nowhere in a rural area and it was just it was really it wasn't ideal and um i was also working at universities uh teaching drama and things like that but we needed to pivot we knew we kind of needed to pivot a friend of mine that I'd known from childhood, who I had done when I was in New York, I'd done a little bit of like English as a second language, like textbook audio companion recording things where they would, they would have you come in and I would have to say, you know, dialogue is like a teenager in like an Australian accent or a Hawaiian accent or a German accent so that people who speak English as a second language can learn how to understand English coming in various different accents and dialects. And so she knew me a little bit from that as being sort of a bit of a vocal chameleon. She said to me, you know, why don't you try this? She's very, she does a lot with recorded books. She's, her name is Beverly Crick. She's fantastic. And she said, why don't you try this? And I did, and I did the ACX thing. And within three months I was full time and Wow. I was very, very lucky and very fortunate and sort of fell into a niche that suited me well. And um, and it all happened really quickly, but it came at a point in our life where we were really needing something else to come along. And, you know, it was it was it was incredible. So that's sort of how I fell into it. But, you know, the unique skill that I had was that I 
I grew up in Bermuda, which is, you know, a UK, it's a, it's a UK Commonwealth. And I went to a very kind of Dickensian British school. I was like the only person with American parents there. Everyone was British, pretty much. All the teachers were British and from all over the UK. And so what happened was I grew up surrounded by all these different British sounds rather than if I'd actually grown up in the UK and gone to school in like Bolton, I would have only heard sounds from that region right around me. But instead, I grew up with this kind of cornucopia of, of UK sounds and developed at a very early age an ear for dialects before I even knew what that was. You know, I knew Welsh as my biology teacher. I didn't know it as Welsh. Um, so that's how I sort of developed this weird sort of, you know, UK American equally castable bizarre thing that really became my trading card and really what made me marketable, I think, in a unique way. That is fantastic. When you in those early days while you were at school, did you did you sort of were you aware of your ability to mimic, to interpret and have a go at those accents? Or was that something that you kind of discovered going down the road? It was there a bit. It wasn't until I was in college and doing um, and studying accents and dialects when I actually had to standardize my American accent because I went, I sounded really British when I got to college and I had to, you know, it was a U.S. drama school and they had to, I had to standardize into general American. Um, but my, my teacher, as we sort of approached each new accent and dialect was like, you already know how to do these. Um, and and realized I had an ear for it. And she kind of took me under her wing and, and really helped me learn how to break down sounds and sort of analyze what I was getting on gut instinct. That is really interesting, because I was going to ask you, because of course you are admired by narrators and listeners alike for your accent work. So like, when taking on a new accent, perhaps one that you you, you know you don't do that common or maybe a, a brand new one, what is your process for like you know researching getting that accent down? The first thing I try and do, if I'm if you're really lucky, you can find an audiobook narrated first person in that dialect. Um so, for instance, like the first time I had to do Birmingham, I found Ozzy Osbourne's autobiography that was narrated not by Ozzy Osbourne. It was narrated by another guy because Ozzy Osbourne would have been completely unintelligible, <laughs> um, but, but sort of by somebody who was in that sound or if, you know, or if you're doing a certain part of Ireland and you can find a novel that's narrated in that. Um, then you can sort of put it on in the background and let it wash over you. Because for me, I think the biggest challenge is not necessarily nailing down. And this is what you hear so often with Americans trying to do British dialects is they will understand the sounds. They won't understand the music. And that's what sounds off. That's what doesn't sound quite correct. Um, so if you're listening to something sustained, um, it can be really, really helpful. And you go through YouTube, you know, and then you go down YouTube rabbit holes. And, you know, you start, I mean, the first place I start is the International Dialects of English Archive, which I think every narrator knows at this point, um, which will give you sort of like target things. But, um, you know, looking on YouTube for uh, politicians or news broadcasts or things like that, um, that, are you know that let you have 
those kind of samples. And then, then I'll break it down and then I'll just kind of talk like that, like an idiot around the house. Um, <laughs> but, but I really like, if you can find, if you can find an audiobook narrated in the dialect, and then what I do is I'll slow it down so that then you kind of hear in slight slow motion, you'll hear them mechanically making the sounds. And then your ear can more easily go, oh, that's the change they're making. So I find that really, really useful. Do you enjoy getting stuck into new dialects? I do, yeah. Um, American ones stress me out. They, they really do. I, I'm, I, if it's somewhere in the UK or Europe, I'm fine. Um, but for some reason, American ones do tend to stress me out, but I do like the challenge of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yours are great. Your American dialects are really solid. Oh, thank you very much. Um, that's really nice to say. I was going to say, I must admit, I was listening to um, the samples uh, on your website and you have a Yorkshire sample and that's where for the part of country, uh, the country that I'm from and you sound just like my neighbours. It is crazy. Oh, it's, thank like, you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stress enough how bang on. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, no, when I grew up, one of my best friends was from Yorkshire. Oh, nice. And that's sort of, yeah, so... Um, I got really lucky. Like my friends were from like Glasgow and, you know, and, you know, Yorkshire and Manchester. And so, but, um, oh, that means so much to me. Thank you. No, I really read it. It's, it's, it's really crazily impressive. Um, something that I've been dying to talk to you about, and I can't wait no longer, <laughs> um, audiobooks at sea. This is, I, I've been looking forward to chatting to, uh, to you about this for so long. Oh, yay. May I ask, may I ask just kind of a vague question i guess how audiobooks of sea came about how the idea came about and, and what attendees can look forward to my husband and i had never been cruising and about five years ago we started and we kind of fell in love with it and i realized it's the only time in my life i am i am a workaholic i have a very hard time not doing something at all times and therefore resting um, and I realized that it's kind of the only time that I sort of shut the world out. You know, I've done a lot of, uh, I've been to a lot of really amazing conferences. I'm sort of a consistent part of certain workshops that are, that are, you know, that people run that are really special and amazing events. And, and the thing we realized about a cruise is everything's done for you. You don't have to think about the food. You don't have to think about the alcohol. It's all, you know, it's all paid for in advance. You, you don't have to think about, you know, and it's all sort of enclosed and that stress is taken away and that extra sort of, you know, compared to like going to APAC and paying for the hotel and paying for your liquor and pay, buying other people drinks and, you know, and all the meals and all that. And we realized the cruise kind of offered something that was really all-inclusive and stress-free in that way. And also they have conference spaces and some people don't realize that. They do have event spaces and conference spaces that are specifically designed for this sort of thing. And um, we just thought it would be a really special way to get people together. And particularly since next year, APAC is not in person, it's virtual. So we're sort of missing that big opportunity to sort of get together and, and connect with each other. We thought it would be a really good year to launch it. And so we picked an itinerary and a boat that we'd been on before so that we knew exactly what people were getting into and we knew exactly what the experiences were um etc and 
then, you know, what we've done is, you know, I just started approaching people and um, Jesse Bickford from Blackstone said yes and is just so excited about it. And Travis Baldry, who I think is one of the best fantasy lit RPG narrators in the universe or just narrators in the universe. Sean Pratt, who's a master of nonfiction. Um, we've, at, we've got Tanya Eby from Dion. Um, and Deborah Dion's coming as well. Um, and uh, we've got other people. We're about to announce two more coaches that are joining in. Uh, people are getting a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with it. The publishers who are coming are not just sort of floating around and being panelists. The publishers are going to be working with the narrators one-on-one. -on -one, and that was really important to us. It's And it's being designed so that a newbie can get something really immersive out of it, but it's also very much designed with the more kind of, ex you know, a seasoned, experienced narrator. I'm trying very carefully to pick panel topics and workshop events that are not the same ones you see every single time or just at a sort of surface rudimentary level that we're diving deep into detail and things to really challenge people who may have 50, 70, 100 books under their belt. Um, and those coaching opportunities that they get put in front of publishers and they're really getting that sort of special feedback and building relationship. But, um, but the response has been fantastic. We are going to be a fair chunk of the boat. Um, so I'm just thrilled. Um, and it's April of 2024. Uh, but we're, you know, we're continuing to add coaches because every time we have uh, my husband, who is the business brains of the operation, we have a threshold. So every time we hit a certain number of people attending, we add another coach so that it doesn't end up being you know, so that it stays a boutique experience. Um, but but I just think it's going to be it's going to be such a neat sense of camaraderie and and an ability to relax and learn at the same time and sort of unplug from the rest of the world and just connect with each other. And I'm, I'm, I think this can be really, really special. And people seem to be incredibly um, enthusiastic about it and think it's a great idea. So we've been, we've been talking about it for, for about a year and then, you know, decided to just pull the trigger and seems to have worked out so far. I've been really enjoying um, looking at the updates and things on the Facebook group um, and other things like that. It just sounds absolutely amazing. Um, we get a lot of questions sent into this show from narrators who um, are just starting out in their narrator journey and, and they want to go to networking events, things like APAC, things, you know, those events and, and but find themselves struggling to, to put themselves forward. Maybe it's, you know, nerves, maybe it's worrying that I don't know as much as anybody, you know, as the next person and that kind of thing. And I just wondered if you had any advice for those type of people, the narrators who really, you know, like the idea of coming to networking events and social events, but find themselves sort of having that fear of getting getting out there and taking that first step. I totally relate to it. I, people don't believe that I'm an introvert, but I absolutely am. Um, it's very tricky for me to put myself in a situation where I have to sort of approach people or sell myself. 
And it's, you know, uh, I've talked about this with a couple people, but, I, you know, some people, so, I, I wore something quite ridiculous and overstated to the Audis. I wore sort of this gigantic ball gown thing. My husband is a costume designer, and it was designed to make people talk to me. It was a conversation starter because I was afraid of that element of breaking the ice. So I totally relate to it. Um, I think, you know, before you go to, before you go to the expense and the, the mental bandwidth of doing that stuff, I would say, make sure your coaches, make sure, you know, people who you can trust to give you an honest opinion are telling you you're ready to set your shingle out. Because I think a lot of people try to jump into it maybe a little bit too fast. And it is really true. And this is the same thing about approaching publishers. It is really true you only get a chance to make a first impression. And I think the reason why people say this thing about half 25 books under your belt is is it's not just about showing publishers you have a portfolio and for them to look and see, okay, if I give this person a book, they can meet the deadline I'm expecting of them. Their audio will be at a certain standard. There, there's gonna be a quality there. It's not just that. It's that the learning process in this, in this gig is so insanely exponential. I have never met a single narrator who didn't say they wanted to burn the first 10 books they ever narrated. Like, it's just a universal fact. So if you kind of accept that every great narrator, no matter how talented they are, no matter how much you admire them, thinks that their first footing was not the best way of selling themselves and that they grew so much very quickly in a short period of time, you know, 10, 15 books, then, then once you feel you've gone through that sort of little bit of growth, then you can, then there's a, then you've learned more about yourself in terms of what genres you think you're strong at, what you think your selling points are, what makes you stand out, what you, you know, um, you can be, feel confident asking people to look at your, your body of work and your samples and things like that. But, um, but I recognize it's scary. It is scary. But one thing to remember, and this is this is tricky, but I, it comes from the point of view of, you know, I was in casting for a long time. It's their job. You've got to remember that a casting director and a publisher, it is their job to find you. It is their job to, to cast their books, to find new voices, to discover. And so they're not resentful of that sell. They're not resentful of you wanting to make that connection. They know it's a big part of what their salary goes to them for. Um, but just, you know, be respectful. Don't be... I, I once saw somebody corner a publisher in a bar and they were like, I've emailed you several times and you've never written to me back. And it was just like mortifying because there are so many other ways to make that to make that work but but my big thing is i would I, 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 this sounds really stupid don't do it until someone you really trust tells you you're ready 
and then you go into it with confidence. Do you know what I mean? If you're, you know, I went to APAC when people were telling me you need to go to APAC. Like I was going, I don't know if I'm going to go. I don't know if I'm ready, whatever. And I had people message me and going, you're at the point in your career where you have to go. So if you're, if you're hearing that from your colleagues, from your coaches, then, then it's, then it's time, you know, don't, I know we all get FOMO and I know, I know in this business, particularly people want to succeed. So, so right out of the gate, you know, they're, they're seeing other people book publishers and they want to be there so fast, but you know, everybody says this is a marathon and just let yourself have the journey. Um, but remember, they want to talk to you. They want to connect. They want to find out what's special about you. And, and, and it's that old thing of, you know, talk about them, make them talk about them. Um, don't, don't just come on with like a hard infomercial, you know, be a person, have a conversation, make a real human connection with people. I think, I don't know. I'm ter I'm terrible at it. So I'm not the right person to ask, but that's sort of my approach. I, I think that's a fantastic approach. Um, I really resonate with what you're saying. And uh, yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, you have a, uh, you have glowing testimonials from pretty much everyone <laughs> um, and have <laughs> won awards, you know, all over the shop. When it comes to that sort of attention, how close do you stay to it? Like, I, are you reading reviews, for example? Like, do you enjoy that side of this occupation, the eyes on you and, and, and that kind of thing? <laughs> That's a, that's a really good question. I am someone who has very severe imposter syndrome, I will admit, and therefore probably unhealthily feel the impact of validation when it comes. Um, not, it's interesting, the, the validation does not land as much as the criticism, which happens with anybody, you know, with, you know, you can, you can get, you, you can win one thing and then have one little, what you could have, you could win an Oscar and then one little troll on the internet says this and all the other stuff goes, but, um, I do, I do look at my reviews every day. I subscribe to a thing, um, called, uh, Neuratic that I really recommend that is a website that it, it tracks every single audible review and rating you get. I look at those every morning. Um, I don't know if it is the healthiest thing for me, but it certainly keeps me connected to always wanting to learn, always wanting to improve. I believe in looking at reviews as an aggregate learning tool. If you are hearing the same thing over and over and over, I think it can be a very good teaching tool. There were a couple things I learned when I was first starting out that I that I learned from reviews um, about something I was doing rhythmically that I needed to adjust um, about I have asthma. And so um, sometimes my voice will get a little bit of a tremor in it because I'm trying to sort of preserve my gas tank. And it can sound a little bit overwrought and like I'm trying to sound vulnerable. And when I got heard that in a couple of reviews recurring, I knew I needed to address it and think about my diaphragm more and support more. So, so I do pay attention to reviews. And honestly, I might be at a career where I need to stop. Not because I think I'm amazing or whatever, but because 
I think the reviews may have taught me what I need to learn, and I will get in my head. Mm. I'll admit, I will get in my head. Um, so, God, this is such a good question, and I'm a terrible person to ask it. I'll tell you one interesting thing is that when I assume a book is going to be reviewed by audiophile, I'm a mess. Mm. I am an absolute mess in the booth. It takes me at least another half as long to record it because I'll be really in my head and be like, oh my God, is this the one where they realize I'm a fraud, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and you just try and rely on your technique and you just try and, you know, stay immersed in the character and you just try chugging along. But I'll be really hard on myself on those books. Um, so it, it's things with a series. Like when you know, like you're doing a series and they've rever rever reviewed the first two books and you're like, oh, fuck, they're going <laughs> to review this one too. Um, and it's a whole new set of voices. And are they going to like this one? Or is this going to be the one where they say I'm shit? Um, so... I probably I probably take them too much to heart, to be honest. And I do think it's that imposter syndrome thing. You know, I am someone who I've learned that when somebody tells me something positive or somebody says something, you know, that is affirming, I've learned that I need to read it twice because the negative one will stick like glue, super glue to me for a week and a half. And the positive ones will just go like through their, through a sieve. And I've learned, take the breath, take in this information and accept it about yourself is it the be all end all absolutely not is it is it incredibly d does it mean a lot to me do i do i feel very um privileged to have had those things come my way a hundred percent do you think you know dealing and battling things like imposter syndrome do you think it helps you raise the bar you know, and not sort of plateau in performance to keep going, right, okay, I'm going to have to pull something out of the bag here. I'm going to have to, and to keep raising that bar. Do you think it is helpful on some level? I know it can be very difficult to live with, but as a, on a performance level, do you see any benefit to that mindset? The fact that it makes you want to always strive to be better, that it makes you want to strive to keep learning, that you are a perpetual student in a way that you're always open to new ideas that you you want to grow you know i think those are all the positives that that do come with it um and so you know would i subscribe to everybody you know go get yourself some imposter syndrome 100 percent no but but um i do a lot more takes than most people would ever imagine um you know i really am kind of cutting together an audiobook sort of like you edit a movie like i'm very I'm I'm very specific and very and I'm not saying that's the way to go for everybody. But yeah, I think that's really I think that's a very interesting perspective and I think it does make you keep an openness about yourself. Yeah. You 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 want to stay a sponge. Yeah. I think I think it's a really interesting subject and I think yeah, it's kind of difficult cause yeah, it 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 differs on I guess you know, it can differ daily as well at how you, how you're dealing with it and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one. Um, acting for audio, um, online classes and events that are enjoyed by so many narrators, actors. I know you mentioned teaching before and, you know, running classes and, and, and working with students. When did it come about for you in audiobooks to to offer those classes? Like, how did that come about for you of, OK, I'm going to I'm going to start doing a little bit of coaching. I'm going to start running these events. How did that how did that come about? 
the first thing that happened was Sean Pratt told me I needed to start teaching. You know, he knew that I was a drama professor. He knew that I had taught at college and things like that. And and he was like, you need to start coaching. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but when COVID hit, two things happened. COVID hit, I became aware that theater programs were finding a way to continue educating their students over Zoom. And, you know, people were recording their exercises in their apartments and doing scene work over Zoom. And, and you know, people were still getting through a conservatory acting program, even though they were no longer in a room with, you know, a bunch of other actors rolling around on the floor being wantonly peculiar. Um, and there was that. And then I also was aware that so many people, you know, not just that were coaching with me, but you would see them talk about it online and Facebook groups and things like that, were saying, I come to this from radio, or do you have to be an actor to be an audio to be do you have to be an actor to be in audiobooks? Or, you know, I love do I want to do this because I like reading at my library and things like that. And I was realizing that so many people were passionate about coming into this industry there wasn't anything that was really a technique-based acting program um, that was geared to the unique requirements of audiobook acting, which is sort of like, you know, if you take theater acting and it's here, and you take television acting and it's here, and you put film and it's high close-up, audiobook acting is kind of here because we're inside their ears. You know, we're in their head. It's, it's the most intimate kind of performance that there is. And so what I thought about was, what if I took two semesters of acting one at, at you know, first year of drama school and sort of compressed it into a semester, always making each of these acting exercises focused toward where it's going to take you as a narrator, how it's applicable as a narrator, and, and then morph that in the later half of the class into specific approach to third-person narration, to microphone technique, to those sort of challenges. And also, I was seeing people with a lot of acting experience, stage actors saying, this feels so wrong. I, 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 I don't understand how I can be this small and this intimate and not be doing nothing. I feel like I'm literally not earning my paycheck because I feel like I'm just not allowed to act anymore because it's gotta be so tiny. And and so I, I was like, I need to create something that gets that gives people technique and, and a basic grounding and also teaches those who are experienced with a larger form of performance how they can still feel real and active and energized and completely connected to the material, but working within a smaller stage or a much tighter close-up. And that's how it kind of came about. And it's sort of, you know, seven weeks of Stanislavski and Uta Hagen and then, and character analysis and character creation and animal work and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, breaking down scenes and beats and then moving into third-person narration, first-person narration, those sorts of challenges. And then we started a, a part two, and part two is not a lecture class. The first part is, it's sort of half lecture, half practical. Part two is very much, is entirely practical, and it's about targeting specific challenges that audiobook narrators have. Group scenes, 
um, narrating a first-person chapter in an extreme character voice that happens a lot in sci-fi or lit RPG, voicing ethnicity with, uh, with respect and specificity. Um, so each week is, is, you know, how to approach children's versus middle grade versus YA. Each week hits a specific target. Um, so that's sort of what those two courses were. And it's been remarkable. I've had people take it who have zero books. I've had people take it who have 150 books. I've had people take it with Audie nominations and earphones awards. It's this wide spectrum because I work with everybody where they are, you know, and where they're coming from with building this foundation of specific technique and and how to get into the text and connect a character. That was an awfully long answer, but hey. No, it's a perfect answer and really interesting. So like, where can people find out more info about the classes? And also, of course, your one-on-one -on -one coaching as well that you also offer. Um, if they go to actingforaudio.com, it's all there. And and if they sign up for the new, for not the newsletter, if they sign up for the mailing list, we don't send out like, we don't send out like weekly newsletters or monthly spam or anything. The only time we use that newsletter is or that that mailing list is when a new class is when a new class is open for enrollment so those people get to find out first um and you know right now i'm running two classes of acting one one class of acting two and then the next i think the next semester is going to open in january uh but so people need to people would need to just put their name down on the put the enter their email to find out about you know enrollment for that but um, it's a really, it, it, cre it also creates an ensemble, you know, it creates this really tight group of 10 actors who stay in touch with each other and become support groups and, and are now, you know, meeting every week and, 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 and being accountability partners for each other and things like that. So it's become this little family, which is also incredibly, you know, validating. Um, but I've had like 125 people come through it now. It's crazy just through part one, like it's kind of amazing. I'm really lucky, like people have, have been incredibly enthusiastic about it and, and very complimentary and really feel that it's made a difference in their career and helped them work more specifically and connected and naturally than they, than they had been before they started. And I think that's, that's a great thing to have on your tombstone in a way. Yeah, amazing. With, um, with so many things going on, classes, cruises, uh, narrating, you know, private coaching. Are you a person who relies on like, you know, a strict daily routine? It's funny, I was gonna bring that up when you we were talking about imposter syndrome, um, because a very strict calendar is the only way I do not get trapped in myself emotionally and sit in this booth and go, I don't know if I can do this today. I don't think I'm good enough. You know, when those days hit, um, or you just find yourself, or I just find myself in this like black hole of doing the same line like 20 times over just to, you know, when I get in my head. For me, my husband is amazing at this. My husband controls my calendar and, you know, I aim for two finished hours a day and I will work six hours to do that. So I'm slow. I'm didactic, like I said. So that's not fast. 
Um, if I'm in a directed session, I'll do four finished hours a day because I can't be in my own brain and I'm on their clock, you know, and I'll prep an audiobook within an inch of its life to be able to do that. But in general, I'm doing about two finished hours a day. And he will schedule, I am scheduled within an inch of my life, pretty much, so that I have to accomplish those goals. You know, by 11.30, I need to be 25 pages through or whatever. You know, I know what my, I know what my very specific page goal is per day for every book I do, and I don't leave the booth until I've accomplished that. And, and that allows me to manage the imposter syndrome with a sense of required momentum and task-oriented focus. Um, and I find that incredibly helpful. You know, you can't get lost in your own shit if every domino for the next day after this is going to lead to screwing up your schedule for the next four months which is the way that mine is built. And I have, you know, I have a prep day built in. I have, um, I work, I record half days on teaching days and teach in the evenings right now. Um, you know, Thursday, I have all as, all as a prep day and teach in the evening. I record Mondays and, uh, Mondays and Fridays, just straight, just full narration days. You know, I have, I have scheduled in like, when I work out the, you know, and, and like when I do cardio and it's, I, I am absolutely someone who has to have structure or they will detangle the, the threads in the sweater will all start to come unraveled. You mentioned um, not finding it that easy to relax, to take time off, to rest. I just wondered on those rare occasions where, you know, you're not in the booth, you're not teaching, you're not working. What could we, what could we find you up to? What do, what do you do on those times where you just take a moment just for yourself? What, do, what could we find you up to? Um, we live 14 minutes from Disney World. So. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, and that's why we moved here. Um, when the audiobooks took off and we were like, well, we need to, we want, we're desperate to get out of Indiana. Where do we want to go? We were kind of like, well, where do we always go on vacation? So we just moved where we always go on vacation. Um, so I really like going to the parks because I am very, I'm a little kid, uh, in, at heart. And, um, again, I can't sort of spend the whole day on my email. I can't get in my brain. Um, but yeah, I'm a movie buff. I miss reading. You know, I think a lot of narrators say that. I think a lot of narrators miss reading for pleasure. But yeah, I'll binge terrible reality shows. Um, <laughs> I'm binging Ink Master. I've never had a tattoo in my life and would never get one, but I'm obsessed with this tattoo show. It's very silly. Um, and like, you know, drag race and nonsense like that. But, but yeah, I think uh, being a Disney nerd and we have three dachshunds and that's also a way of relaxing so yeah i love that i love that i resonate with the reality shows mine's below deck at the oh, moment yeah, yeah, can't yeah. get enough <laughs> as we come towards the end of the show i would just like to uh, simply end by asking if you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about of course we have some upcoming events that we're very excited about um but if there's any audiobooks coming out anything that you'd like to like to talk about that we can look forward to i just had a book come out that I thought was really special. It's by an author named Kat Sebastian, and it's called uh, We Could Be So Good. Um, she's She writes historical 
queer romance. Um, this is set in a much more contemporary period. This is set sort of in the 50s. Um, or the 60s. It's set in the 60s, I think. It's beautifully written and really, really clever, um, and I think that's worth a listen. Um, my favorite thing I've ever narrated was David Copperfield. I loved doing that. I really like doing classics. I've just had I've just had an offer to do another one, and I would that's what I would say, but it's not signed and sealed yet. So I would say so. I, I've got I've got a Jules Verne project that we're hoping to make happen, and that would be that would be really really cool. That's sort of my that's my real joyful place when I get to do those. You know, one other thing about you, because you asked me about, you know, the conventions and, 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 and meeting. And one thing that's really hard for me is I am very rarely cast to use my voice. So it is really weird to try and sell me to someone without demonstrating something in a fake way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because 80% of what I do is British or Scottish or Australian, or that's what they hire me for. So it is so weird <laughs> to be like, yeah, you should really hire me to do your Regency romance books, man. <laughs> so it's really tricky. And I'm also not gonna wanna go up to them and introduce myself in a false dialect, you know, cause that's disingenuous. So I have a really hard time until once people have like listened to my shit and sort of vaguely know what my shtick is, then it's fine to start a conversation. But just going up and trying to do a cold sell to someone for me is just bizarre because it's literally me going, "You're hi, this is me. You're not going to hire me to sound like this because I sound like gay Kermit. Like, it's not going to happen. So It's a strange predicament to find oneself in as well, isn't it? Like not like known but not as oneself. Yeah. But it's, just, it's a strange, it's a strange uh, universe <laughs> to be in. Yeah, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing. I really appreciate that you've asked very interesting questions and, and I, I, I've had a great, it's been really cool to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy for me. It's easy because you're a very interesting guest, so it's easy for me. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, that does bring us to a close uh, for this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of the links to Joel's social media, Audiobooks at Sea, Acting for Audio and recent projects will be linked in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and of course, another huge, huge thank you to you, Joel, for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. It was a true pleasure. I really appreciate it. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman? Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. We at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. 
This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening.